The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So the topic for tonight, well, actually, first of all, did you know that it's a very special day today in Theravada Buddhism? There are three holidays, and today is one of them. The very the the first the first holiday, um, what I think of as the first because it's the one that um, celebrates the Buddha's birth and awakening and death. Parent Parinibbana is is uh, the full moon, in the full moon of May, and it's uh, called Vesak. So. You may have heard of that one or not. And after the Buddha got enlightened, he spent some time, apparently, there in that area. And and then when he went to find the other uh, ascetics who had been training with him in order to teach them what he had discovered... That was about two months later. And the first time teaching that and setting the wheel of Dhamma in motion yeah, is um, Asala Puja, and that's the full moon of July. And that marks the beginning of the rains retreat for the monastics. So we, we start in three months of usually more intensive study and being um, living in one spot and not moving, not moving around for three months. And then um, seven months later, the full moon of February, by that time the Buddha had ordained 1,250 monks and they were all arahants all fully enlightened and they spontaneously gathered together on the full moon night to listen to the Buddha and that is Maga Puja which is commemorated tonight so it's a very auspicious day it's the full moon of February which means it's an observance day, full moons and new moons um, are the days in in the monastic system that we do confession and um, usually practice in a special way, usually don't work. And uh, head gets shaved the day before the full moon and the new moon in in the tradition that I'm in. It's not the same, held the same way in every tradition. But And so this one is, of course, extra special because it's Maga Puja. So the, the one I mentioned, the first one, with the Buddha's birth, enlightenment, and Parinibbana, you know, obviously celebrating the Buddha, that second one, turning the wheel of the Dhamma, celebrates the Dhamma. And tonight is 
the celebration of the Sangha. So it's so perfect that we're here together <laughs> celebrating the Sangha and um, really following that um, ancient tradition of coming together to hear the Dhamma and share the Dhamma. So one of the things that I think is interesting is, you know, what did the Buddha say to 1,250 arahants? And some of you may know it's, it's called the Vada Padimokha. It's like um, the kernel or the seed or the core. And it basically boils down to don't do anything harmful. Stop doing the things that are harmful, or sometimes it's translated as evil, the things that are unskillful, really. And do what's good, what's skillful, what's helpful. And purify the mind. When I was asked a few months ago what title I would like to give to this talk, I said, happiness no matter what. Um, it's, for me, that's a way of hmm, reflecting on enlightenment. Because the enlightened mind is not shaken. And of course the question is how do we develop that? And what's so inspiring I think is that if we put in the conditions we do the practice, that state of unshakable peace is inevitable. The first time I heard a monk say that, it just, oh, yes. We are headed in that direction when we keep the precepts and we practice meditation and concentration and we develop wisdom by examining the way things are. Following the Eightfold Path, then that awakening is a sure thing. It's coming. Put in the conditions, you get out the result. We don't control exactly how it all goes, of course. <laughs> but it comes. And when I think about happiness no matter what, 
Um, I think sometimes about well different things that have happened in my practice that help to kind of remind me it reminds me not only that that realization of Nibbana, of the deathless, of unshakable peace, not only is that a reality, is that possible, is that inevitable if we do the practice, Um, but we can catch glimpses of it along the way, and then we can use that as inspiration, as a touchstone, as a way to pull ourselves up. So you may have had things like that happen, or you may have, that, that you're aware of and you can remember, or you may have had things like that happen and not known really what, what they were. So it's helpful to reflect on um, these insights that come in your practice and see if you can um, draw more meaning from them. This is some advice that was given me one time when I had something happen in my practice and I talked to the abbot of the monastery, and he said, this is, you can really deep, more deeply investigate this. When you sit in meditation, bring that experience back to mind and really look at, look at it, really look at it. And I found that it, it's true. There More comes, more insight can, can come and, and also... Um, encouragement for the heart and encouragement for the practice if we continue to look back and, and bring those those positive experiences to mind. In fact, I would recommend keeping a journal of such things that you can come back to and read and use it to gladden the mind. So in the meditation that we had earlier, some of you may have recognized that I was following the 16 steps of Anapanasati that the Buddha laid out. Of course, there are, there are slightly different translations of those exact words, but it's the general idea. And in that 16 steps, you find working with the body, working with the feelings and perceptions, working with the mind and thoughts, all the different kinds of mental formations, and also working with an investigation of impermanence, fading away, cessation, and letting go or relinquishment. Also in the chant that we did, where it talks about those three characteristics of looking at Is it permanent? The body, 
the feelings, the perceptions, the mental formations, conscious sense consciousness? Is it source of suffering? Is it self? These three characteristics are central to the kind of investigation that brings us into direct realization of the way things are, of truth. And that is freeing. That is where happiness comes no matter what. We start to recognize all these things that we feel uncomfortable about, that we fear losing, that we worry over, that we regret. When we start to really look and we see that their nature is impermanent, we start to see, oh yeah, because of that, if I grasp their cling, it's it's going to be suffering. And it can't possibly be who we are. So I, I told a story recently. Um, I think Bill might be the only one. Bill and Mom. This is my mom, by the way. This is Agnes. <laughs> She's 84. She doesn't look it, does she? (laughs) But they heard this story just the other night, so forgive me for that. But it's a story that uh, is just, you know, one of those moments when, just to give you an example of the kind of thing I want to encourage you to watch for in your practice. I was, uh, mom and I were in Australia staying near a monastery near Melbourne and uh, now famous, uh, very wise, very advanced uh, master teacher, Ajahn Plian, who some of you may have seen. He visited here in America a couple of years ago. But he was there speaking, and he had been there for about a week. So we were at the monastery every day, and we took in as much as we possibly could of everything that was happening there, but also, especially Ajahn Blian's talks. And that was this was the last night he was going to be there, the last Dhamma talk. And he just asked if there were any questions in this young Anagarka. I think he must have been only about 20. And um, he said, Ajahn, can you please tell us about your path to awakening? How, what did you do? How did you do it? <laughs> and so Ajahn Blian started at the beginning, like when he became a monk and What's interesting about it to me is that he said he started by saying, well, first he took concentration practice all the way to the limit. And then he took mindfulness 
practice all the way to the limit. And one thing that was interesting to me is like there was magic in the room. There had to be, otherwise I would have gone, yeah, well, it leaves me out (laughs) right there. (laughs) But it all seemed so completely possible. And it is. But, you know, sometimes we don't recognize that. And then you come into contact with someone who's really awake, who's traveled the path, and they're right there in front of you. And there's something in that energy that helps you know that, yes, it's not far away. So he went on talking about how he would investigate. And he talked about the three characteristics and how he would first be investigating the body. And he went on for quite a long time talking about the different ways that he would investigate the body and its nature. Its impermanent nature, its foulness. And he talked about how, you know, he said, you know, the body... Any, any part of it can break down in different ways. Just go into a hospital and you can just see all the different ways the body breaks down. And just start really investigating that, really recognizing, yeah, attachment to this is not beneficial. So he talked about, he talked about that and, and he was you know, giving many different examples and All of a sudden, I just, I really saw that everything in this realm is impermanent. It's impermanent. It's falling apart. The way it, it showed up is it's falling apart. And all the effort that we put in to try to shore it up and hold it together and make it into something is not necessary. It's falling apart and that's its nature. It's okay. It's completely okay. There's absolutely nothing to be unhappy about. Wow. And I just couldn't stop smiling for days. And, and then gradually it kind of faded. I mean, this is like, you know, right there in the meditation, you, you can see the fading of these things, and you can see. If I were wanting to cling to that feeling of happiness, that, that would be suffering. But instead, just coming back to it, like even now, it's like, Yes. There's no reason to be unhappy. I think part of the practice is coming back to something like that when we're really caught. You know, caught on something that feels so important. And I mean, really, so many things. We've been taught and conditioned and just our very nature, our makeup of having a body and having people in our lives that we care about and wanting to, you know, have things turn out a certain way and just that whole sort of setup 
of human life um, brings along with it things that we want to have be a certain way. We want our loved ones to continue to be as they are, and they won't. They will change. They are changing, aren't they, Mom? She tells me a lot. She shares with me all the the joys and sorrows of aging. Seems like mostly the sorrows are winning. <laughs> but you know, it's it's so powerful and so liberating to really recognize that that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And that's okay. Better than that, actually. So coming back to those those times when the curtains open... (laughs) The fog disappears for a minute, <laughs> and what you see and what you recognize in those in those times. And if if right now you're saying to yourself, "I don't think that anything's ever happened to me," maybe you didn't recognize it, or maybe it's just going to be tomorrow. But if we practice, if we keep listening to the Dhamma do everything that we can to draw close to those who have walked the path and become more free, even if they're not totally free, if they've become more free. It's inevitable. You're going to see it. I think sometimes it really, really helps if you really, really want to. Um... After I had been in um, white robes for a few, for a while, maybe a couple of years, I went to England. I wanted to enter the training in England in the Siladara order, and it took a long time to be able to get in because they had a long waiting list. And I got sent to Chithurst Monastery, which is a, a beautiful place in the forest in um, West Sussex. And it had taken so much to get there, you know. And when I got there, and I thought, okay, now's my chance. I'm in this really great monastery and I really want to understand not self. I really want to understand that. I think it, in my experience, it's very helpful if you identify something in the teachings you don't understand and put your attention on it and make an effort and I don't mean in a like clingy, um, 
I think you're going to know what I mean. It's like when we, when we put our intention somewhere, if we're grasping at that too much in a certain way, it, it makes it kind of run away from us. <laughs> right? But if we, if we put our heart's pure intention and then we let go, like we, you know, just open ourselves to the possibilities and basically invite the forces of goodness to support us, but be grateful no matter what happens, that kind of attitude. Then I think sometimes the answers come. No, that's not quite true. I really do think all t- always the answers come. <laughs> Just takes time sometimes. <clears throat> so I went to the evening puja, and I had this sense of urgency because you know it's like I'm not going to be around forever. Um, I really don't understand. And something happened that night in the meditation and it was so I discovered something I didn't expect. It's like not only is there no self in this body, on these khandas and the body and the feelings and the sense consciousness and the perception and mental formations. But what was crystal clear is that there is no self beyond that anywhere either. So, this kind of thing, when this happens, whatever form it takes, really mark it only pay attention and bring it back to your memory again and again and again use it as leverage don't worry if you don't understand it all don't worry if it fades and the next day you're angry and worried and all of that don't worry about any of that Um, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Ajahn Mahabua but he's he just passed away recently He's in his 90s. Oh, yeah. He, he um... Hmm? It was recent. It was recent. Actually, if you go to the Abhayagiri website, Ajahn Pasano gave a talk reflecting on Ajahn Mahabhu's um, passing. So it was just um, a month ago, maybe. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he said in his life probably many times, was scramble up. Scramble up the mountain. Don't worry about, oh, I got to get the this, I got to get the jhanas, and I got to get the this, and I got to get the that. Don't worry about that. Just use what you've got and take it to the next level. Scramble up the mountain. So I just find that very encouraging. Just... Use the precepts. Really be diligent. 
Use the meditation time. Take every moment you can get to bring your mind into peacefulness. Use the Dhamma. The Buddha gave us such a beautiful, complete system. He told us what to watch for. He told us how to do it. And it's so easy to get sidetracked and busy and thinking other things are more important. I have the same thing still. And I have to still bring myself back. Okay. (laughs) What is really important? Yeah. Sitting down. Getting quiet. Opening the heart. Praying. Praying for wisdom. So for anyone who wasn't here last time I was here, I talked about the power of Buddhist prayer. I believe in its um, effectiveness. You don't have to be praying to a supreme creator God if that's not part of the cosmology uh, and that's not the way I think of things anymore so I can attest to the fact that that's not uh, necessary but that but that depth of allowing our very best deepest heartfelt expression come to voice is really valuable Ajahn Sumedho used to say I'm sure he still does but he, I haven't heard him in a while he would say over and over again that what people really need more than anything else is encouragement especially in the West and I think that's right and sometimes we just have to do it for ourselves. Nobody else is going to do it. You know, there are times when there's no one around to lift us up. So we have to find our own way. And we can. And we can. And, you know, it can be reflect on your goodness. You know, like the that Owada Padimoka, you know, the things that you did today that were good the ways in which you helped, the kind thoughts, the smile, the kind words, and also reflect on the things you didn't do that would have caused harm. So when when we're going through a rough patch, sometimes we can't remember how good we are. We don't even count the fact that we didn't intentionally kill something or someone or didn't intentionally lie about anything or didn't intentionally, you know. The fact that we keep those precepts, that we are not cruel, this is huge. And we can use that to encourage ourselves. So whether it's the sila part, the the moral virtue part, or whether it's the meditation part and something that comes to us in meditation or a way in which we start to recognize 
these different steps and we see, oh, oh, that's what rapture is. Oh, okay, something else, something new is happening here. It's on the right track. Whether it's something like that or whether it's an insight that arises, keep track of it. I would write it down. I would come back and read about it again. I would bring it back into meditation, asking, what, what more can I see through this experience? Hmm. We have a few minutes, not very many. Does anyone have any questions? Um, in the uh, in the liturgy, it says uh, that the Buddha has expounded the uh, Dharma, and that it's beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the be- in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, and beautiful in the end. I'm not really sure what that means, you know, unless they're talking about the discourses. I don't know. Well, the, f- the first thing is, thank you for asking that question, because that's the kind of thing I would ask myself a lot. The chanting is great, because it has so much fundamental Dhamma in it, especially this one. I love this morning chanting, um, because it's just like there's so much there, and I would really, the best thing is to really take that into your meditation and ask. Really investigate that, you know. I can tell you what I think. I mean, I'm happy to. Um, Beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the end. I I realized tonight when we were chanting that line, I was smiling to myself because it just brings me so much joy because I really, I really see that, that what the, Buddha gave when you start the path it's beautiful as you're going through it it's beautiful at the end it's beautiful Um, and my teacher Ajahn Pasano he likes to quote this one sutta where the Buddha is being asked you know if if you're a, a a normal person who hasn't you know attained anything then how should you practice and the Buddha talks about reflecting on the five khandhas with the three characteristics and, and, and to see that it's impermanent, to see that it's suffering, to see that it's not self. This is enough to cause some a real, that realization is enough for the attainment of stream entry. And then the person asks, so how, how should a stream enterer practice? And then the Buddha says the same thing over again. And how should a once returner practice? Same thing. How should a non-returner? Yes, same thing. Because it would help the person go to the next level. And then what about an arahant? How should an arahant practice? And the, it was the same thing. 
the same thing, not because anything else has to be accomplished, but because it's a pleasant abiding here and now. So I would say that applies to the beginning, the middle, and the end. You know, it's beautiful all the way along. Maybe one more question, and then we'll do the closing, if there is one. Okay. So let's chant the sharing of blessings on page 27. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world. May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent, or hostile, May all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing. May all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, May darkness and illusion be dispelled. And then one page back on page 24, the closing homage. Arahang Sama Sambuddho Bhagawa, the Lord, the perfectly enlightened and blessed one, Buddha Bhagawantam. Yeah.
Amiwadeimi. I render homage to the Buddha, the Blessed One. Suagato Bhagavata Dhammo The teaching so completely explained by him Dhammangnusami I bow to the Dhamma Subhatipano Bhagavato Sawakasangho the blessed one's disciples who have practiced well, Sankang Namami, I bow to the Sangha. So happy Maga Puja. <laughs> <laughs>